Thanks for listening to audio from North Monroe. To learn more about who we are, visit northmonroe.com or download the North Monroe app in the App Store or on Google Play. Now, here's this week's message. What a great view I have today. (laughs) Today's, of course, Women's Retreat Day, and I wanted to speak into the hearts and the issues of women. What is it that they're dealing with? What is it that they face? What are they feeling? And unfortunately, I'm a man. And there's no way I know. I have no idea. And only a really foolish man would ever pretend to understand what a woman is feeling. In fact, Sigmund Freud said this uh, to Marie Bonaparte. He said, the great question that has never been answered and which I have not yet been able to answer despite my 30 years of research into the feminine soul is, what does a woman want? (laughs) I don't presume to know. I have no idea. Um, But I do listen and I watch and I listen to their hearts and to what they're saying to each other and to to other people and to their mates. And, And if there is one thing that does seem to be at least bubbling to the surface and it seems to be apparent is that it seems like to me that a lot of women live with a lot of fear. That if I had to say, what is one of the most common feelings that women are struggling with today, I would say it may be, maybe it's fear. Obviously, they fear for their safety because we now live in a world of barbarians and predators, and uh, it, it becomes more important than ever to be aware of and, and concerned about your safety. Women fear for their children. The women today fear for their children in ways that my mother didn't. I mean, in my mom's generation, we left the house in the morning and we came home when the streetlights came on. And she didn't know where we were all day long. I'm not sure she cared, for real. Like, if something happened to us, one of us disappears, it's like, that's a price she was willing to pay. You know? It's like, well, I still got two. I lost one today. But, you know, today women are in a totally different world because, uh, man, they fear that some tragic thing's going to happen. And, and they read the headlines, and, and it seems like those things are happening with greater frequency. They fear whether or not they're doing the right thing. I mean, especially moms with babies because they get this little life, and it doesn't have any instructions and they don't know what to do with it, and they have some ideas, and they've tried to gather some information, but it seems like there's so much more on their own. Like women used to sort of work together more to sort of uh, help them uh, work out those issues and to give them confidence. And, and then you add to it this idea that that baby will be fine unless you mess him up. And so the whole idea behind our cultural view of the nature of man is that he's essentially good and will grow up in a positive and healthy direction unless somebody messes him up. And so you don't want to be the one to mess her up, right? And so there's that fear that goes with that. And there's the fear of the future and the fear that you don't measure up. Uh, And then there's all these fears related to significance, Uh, A lot of it being fed by social media and the unrealistic portrayal that we see in Instagram and Facebook. And you look at that and you go, man, my world is not anywhere near that together. And uh, do I really have that significance and value? And uh, do I really measure up? And and can I compare myself to those people? And, And one of the big fears I hear a lot is... Can God really forgive me? I mean, I, I, I mean, I know he'll forgive most of it, but there's some stuff that maybe I've done that is beyond forgiveness. 
And there's this residual, almost nagging thought that, yeah, he, he accepts me and forgives me mostly. And I think that's in play. Um, you know, and, and this kind of fear is not just for women. It's for all of us. Uh, we live in very uncertain times. Uh, you've got Chinese balloons floating around for, for heaven's sake. What's that all about? And you've got banks failing again. And then there's the whole cultural shift where those things that we felt like were secure that we could plant our feet on have now been undermined. And right seems wrong and wrong seems right. And it's really hard to find your equilibrium. And you fear for the future. And you fear for the present. So how do we respond to this? What do you do with your fear? I want us to go to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. We've been studying Ecclesiastes for some time, walking through this ancient book. It's really an ancient book about modern times. This is a book that was written 900 years before Jesus. So it's, it's right at 3,000 years old. And you're like, why would we read a book that's 3,000 years old? And the answer to that is because unlike most books that were written 3,000 years ago, this one was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And this is a book that was written 3,000 years ago that speaks absolute relevance to the world we live in today because it's a book that's about postmodernism. It's a book about nihilism. It's a book about narcissism. It's a book that, that, that feeds into and expresses the feeling of everything that America is about today. And in 900 years before Christ, Solomon, who I think was probably the author, other people would disagree with that, but but from a reading of, of chapter one, it would seem that Solomon was the one that wrote this book. Solomon is trying to manufacture significance, meaning, purpose, and value without a worldview that includes God. So he's trying to manufacture a secular worldview that will have some meaning, significance, and value. And quite honestly, he says at the very beginning, I couldn't do it. He starts out by saying, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Uh, Meaningless, meaningless, everything's meaningless. What advantage does man have in all of his labor, which he does? And And here's the parameters of the study, under the sun, under the sun. In other words, a perspective that does not include the sovereignty of God, a perspective that does not include the eternal uh, significance of our decisions, uh, and he, uh, a perspective that is this life right now. And he's tried everything. He's gone to drugs, sex. He's gone to, you know, books and study. He's gone to academia. He's, he's gone everywhere. And he comes back again and again, and he says, vanity, vanity. It's just not there. And so about chapter 8, Solomon begins the journey home. And he starts to turn his heart toward the things of God that he knew as a young man. And uh, in chapter 9 and 10, he makes a strong case that life isn't always fair and predictable. I mean, we know that, and that's the thing driving our fear. We know that life is not fair and predictable, and and that's what creates this, this nagging uncertainty in our hearts. So how do we respond to that? What do we do with it? And Solomon gives us some insights if we'll lift them out carefully, and then coming together in chapter 11, he really opens the door to this thing. So it starts with this. I think because of the uncertainty of life, we have to be realistic. We have to be real. This is a book of biting realism. This is no Pollyanna work. This is no, this is no uh, John Wayne movie. There's no happy ending here. Um, and here's what he says. If you lift it out, he says, first of all, life isn't fair. Um, here's one of the verses, uh, 8.14. And this is not all that is meaningless in our world. In this life, good people are often treated 
as though they were wicked. Man, you could read this in the headlines today. Good people today are treated as if they were wicked, and watch this, and wicked people are often treated as though they were good. That's our generation, that's right now. And he says, this is so meaningless. Because life isn't fair. The good guys aren't being honored, the bad guys are. And then he says this, life isn't always safe. Look at chapter 9, verse 11. I again saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, and the battle is not to the warriors. Neither is bread to the wise, nor wealth to the discerning, nor favor to the men of ability. For time and chance overtake them all. In other words, the race doesn't always go to the swift. The guy that should have won the race didn't. The, the, the warrior that was prepared for battle didn't win. You're like, what happened? Well, stuff happens. Just through life, things are going to happen, and they're going to upset the natural order of things so that life becomes uh, very uh, unsafe and uncertain. And then he says, success is not always certain. Verse 12, moreover, man does not know his time, like fish caught in a treacherous net. Birds trapped in a snare, so the sons of men are ensnared in an evil time when it suddenly falls on them. I mean, you, the bird's doing its bird thing, you know, it's a little blue bird, and it's out finding a worm, it's going to bring it back to the nest, and it's flying back to the nest, and all of a sudden, a cat jumps up and gets it. Or a net throws up, and they, they catch it. Or, you know, maybe you're a fish, and you're just swimming after a minnow, and next thing you know, a net comes down on you, and you're out of the water and into the frying pan. And, and all of that is to say that Success isn't always certain. It's, it's, it's not always going to work out the way you think it should. Here's one he said. It only takes a little foolishness to ruin a lifetime of wisdom. Look at verse chapter 10, verse 1. As dead flies cause even a bottle of perfume to stink. Isn't that a great analogy? You know, how many dead flies do you need in your perfume for it to be ruined? Just one. You know, just, just one little fly and the whole thing's ruined. And, and he says, so a little foolishness spoils great wisdom and honor. It only, takes, it only takes one second of foolishness to ruin a lifetime of wisdom. Just those very small things. My, my sister-in-law got mad at, at my niece one time because she got in my niece's car and there was some music on that she didn't approve of. And so she talked to my niece about it and she said, you don't need to be listening to that kind of music. It's got bad words in it. She says, well, it's only a few bad words. It's really not that bad and this and that. And she, and so my sister-in-law, I think she throws away all of her CDs. So there's a big fight. And then later on she says, hey, Chrissy, let's make some cookies. Chrissy's like, I don't want to make cookies. Come on, let's make cookies. So they get in the kitchen, they're making cookies and and they're starting to get along again and, you know, kind of restore what was broken. And Jean's making cookies. And she said, okay, we got a special ingredient. Can you go out in the backyard and find a little dog poop and bring it back? We're going to put it in the cookies. And Christy's like, what are you talking about? She's like, it's not a lot. It's just a little, just a little dog poop. And we're going to put it in the cookie and it won't make any difference. You probably won't even know it's there. And Christy's like, okay, mom, I get it. How many lives have we seen that the man or woman lived a life of integrity and character and spent their whole life building something that in one moment of foolishness was completely brought down and destroyed? That's what Solomon's saying. One fly in the perfume ruins all the bottle. 
And, you know, you look at this and you go, these are all facts of life and we have to take them seriously. We can't, we can't afford to, we can't afford to, to dance into this storm like a child skipping home from the school bus. We don't have the luxury of naivety. We have to be frugal and prudent. We're not to be fearful, but we have to be wise. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be as shrewd as serpents and as innocent as doves. Isn't that an interesting thing to say? I mean, you don't normally say that to a church crowd. Hey, I need you to be more snake-like. You need to be more like a serpent. But he's talking about the shrewdness of the serpent, the awareness of the serpent, the, the fact that that serpent's not going to be caught off guard. And he's saying we've got to have that because we're in a midst of wolves and we're sheep and we have to be as innocent as dove. And as, in other words, you, don't, you, you have to take these dangers seriously. Proverbs 22, verse 3, a, a prudent person foresees danger and takes precaution. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. It's a dangerous and unpredictable world. And, and, and as the culture, here's what's happened in our culture. Sometime back, they said, we don't want Jesus anymore, whoever they is. And so they began to push against the things of faith and the things of Scripture, the things of the Bible. And we began to become a post-Christian culture, a secularized culture. But we still lived under the, under the governing ethos of a Christian ethic. And so we still did the things that Jesus did. We still loved our neighbor. We still uh, were responsible in the workplace. We still worked hard and were excellent in what we do. But somewhere along the line, they said, not only do we no longer want Jesus, we don't want the ethics of Jesus. And when you remove the ethics of Jesus, you've only got one other option. It was the option of the world before Jesus. You see, this whole turn the other cheek thing was not in play before Jesus came along. This whole uh, do unto others as you would have them do unto you was not an ethic of, of Greco-Roman culture. Barbarianism was. And when you remove the vestiges of Christianity from the foundations of the culture, you're going to get an increasing barbarism. I've been saying this for years, and we've got barbarians everywhere. We've got barbarians in the schools, and these teachers can't teach them because they're barbarians. We've got barbarians in the workplace. We've got barbarians in the churches because barbarism is what you get when you get rid of Jesus. That's what you have. And women, you're in a barbaric world. And you have to be careful. You have to be prudent. You have to be watchful. That's especially true for women. Amy and I were on vacation, and we needed to go run by a Target to get something. And so we found the Target on Google, and, you know, we were in a uh, kind of a mountainous, hilly area. And when we got there, it was a weird situation. The Target was, like, down at the bottom of the hill, sort of off to the side of, like, a mall or something. And it was down here, and a good bit of the parking lot was out on that side. But we parked on the higher level and had to walk down these stairs to it. And even though it was really still the front of the Target, it felt real deserted. And they had built this large porch... Uh, where like the solid wall, no windows was right there and about a 30, 40 foot porch and these giant columns were holding it up. So we go down the stairs. It's a hot, sunny day. And so I walk over to walk on the porch and Amy goes, where are you going? And I said, oh, I'm going to walk over here out of the sun. She said, I'm not. 
And I said, why not? And she said, somebody could be hiding behind one of those columns. And I said, do you really think so? You really think somebody's going to jump out and get us? She goes, I don't know, but I'm not taking that chance. And I realized in that moment that her life is very different from mine. I don't worry about that. I don't worry about people jumping out behind columns to get me. But she does, and she should. Because her personal safety is her responsibility. And she's not wrong to think that way. Look, I don't believe in a minute for a minute in toxic masculinity. You're hearing that. That's a lie from the pit. God created male and female. He created them male and female. He created masculine. He created feminine. And we need both. You've got to have both. You've got to have both. There's no such thing as toxic masculinity. But I will say this. As men have become more and more divested from the ethic of Christ, they've become more dangerous. And they're more predatory. And, and when you say things like this, you hear things like, well, you're victim shaming. I'm not victim shaming. But lady, you have to take responsibility for your safety. There are things that maybe you could do in the past you can't do anymore. There are places you can go. There are spring break experiences that are no longer available because you have to be responsible for your safety because it's a dangerous world. That's not victim shaming. That's prudence. The wise man foresees the trouble and hides himself. The naive go on and are punished for it. Be prudent. But on the other hand, and here we go, don't be fearful. And this is the paradox of of, uh, Ecclesiastes 9 through 11. You can never find safety, but you must not live in fear. So let's go to chapter 11, verse 1. And here it is. You've got to take it seriously, but you keep walking by faith. Watch what he says. Cast your bread on the surface of the waters, for you will find it after many days. Now, whenever I've heard this passage taught, it was always about giving. Be a giver. Cast your bread on the water. You don't know what's going to happen. And then God's going to use that, and and sometime later it's going to come back. And and we always tied the bow between this and what Jesus said, um, give and it shall be given to you, pressed down, shaken together running over in your bosom, good measure running over in your bosom. And we would say, look, if you become a giver, you receive far more than you could ever have given, right? So cast your bread upon the water. There was a, there was a lady named Janie Grimes back in the Jesus movement. You know, that's popular right now with the song. And Janie Grimes wrote a song called Keep On Casting. And it was about Ecclesiastes chapter 11. It was the first time I ever heard that idea. The Imperials picked it up later for you gospel people, and they re-recorded it. They covered it. And so the idea is that if you'll keep casting, there are blessings coming back on you. And that's, what I, that's why I've always preached it. That's why I've always thought of it. But in light of what he said in chapters 9 and 10 about the, the uncertainty of life, about the unfairness of life, about the fact that one foolish moment can, can undermine a lifetime of wisdom, what he's saying is it's not so much about giving as it is faithfulness. He's not really encouraging them to be a giver as he's encouraging them to be a truster. Keep casting. Don't stop. Keep giving. Keep investing. Keep making those decisions that are, that are decisions of risk and blessing and reward and all of that. Because what happens to us is when we become fearful then we begin to try to, uh, to uh, protect ourselves. And we, we, begin to, uh, we begin to seek security. And we seek security by trusting in our assets. 
And so what we typically try to do when I'm fearful is I try to create almost like a castle of security, and I, and I want to build a reservoir of assets that's large enough to handle any of the potential risks that might come my way. And when I do that, I stop investing, I stop giving, and I start trying to hoard. And that's what he's saying you can't do. I'm not saying don't prepare for the future by saving and investing. Well, I think the Bible says that all the time. Go to the ant, learn her ways. In times of plenty, she stores up for times of good. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is letting fear cause you to become a hoarder, where you feel like your own security is your own responsibility. Never, ever think that riches will make you safe. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Jesus tells a story in Luke 2. This guy had these big barns and, and he had this huge crop and they wouldn't fit in his barns. He said, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I'm going to tear down my barns, build bigger ones. And then he does all that and he says, I say to my soul, soul, you're rich and you have everything you need and you'll never lack for anything You've got enough to cover and protect you for the rest of your life. And Jesus says, you foolish man, this very night your soul is required of you. Riches won't protect you. I, I watched, I've been into Formula One. I watched this documentary on Netflix and all of a sudden I'm a Formula One fan, right? One of the greatest drivers in Formula One history was a guy named Michael Shoemaker. He was the Michael Jordan of Formula One. Um, and he retired, came back, retired again. And, you know, after retirement, when you're a Formula One driver, it's, you know, it's hard to sort of maintain that adrenaline rush. So there were videos of him and his family skydiving and all this other stuff. Well, here's a guy that spends, you know, most of his life driving race cars, the most dangerous kind in the most dangerous places. And he's skiing with his family in Switzerland. He falls, hits his head on a rock. It's lights out. His life has changed forever. He can't talk. He can't walk. He can't eat on his own. He's worth $600 million. All those times driving a race car, snow skiing took him out. You cannot bubble wrap life in wealth. And moms, you can't, on, on the parenting side, you can't bubble wrap your children either. And this is a grave temptation. When you're full of fear, you begin to seek security, and that security is to overprotect your children. And sometimes that means push dad out of the way. You know why? Because dad is usually the one that in introduces your children to danger. <laughs> it's true. Mama gets a baby, what does she do? Dad gets a baby, what does he do? <laughs> right? Most of us were introduced to danger by our fathers. And there's something to that. I was talking to this one guy, he said, my dad had me up on the roof, trying to teach me how to climb up on the roof of the house. And I'm laying on the roof and I can't grab anything and I'm scared I'm going to fall. And my dad's saying, just throw your leg up, throw your leg up. I can't, daddy, I can't throw my leg up. Just try to throw it up. And he grabs the leg and tries to put it up. I can't, daddy, stop, stop, let me down, help me down. Dad gets so frustrated, he just walks off. God said, man, I skint my entire, my entire belly on that asphalt shingle. He said, at least your dad never did that to you. I said, nope, my brothers did. 
Every kid I knew that ever tried to climb a roof skinned his belly on asphalt shingles. I mean, skint bellies were a sign of honor, skint knees, stub toes, all of that stuff. And that became a badge of honor because you've got to take some risks in order to learn. And if you don't learn, then you'll always be paralyzed by your own fear, right? And let me just say this, mom, you need to allow your husbands to carefully introduce danger to your children. Now, dads don't go to extreme and scare the liver out of them because you're just going to reinforce their fear. But here's what, here it is. Your children can either learn how not to get hurt by getting hurt, or they can spend their lives in fear of getting hurt. And that's something that is a vital adage of life. Back to Ecclesiastes, it's all about faith. He's saying in the midst of this uncertainty, in the midst of this turbulent time, keep casting your bread on the water. Never stop living by faith. Resist the urge to try to build a reservoir. God wants you to be a river, not a reservoir. You know what, a re- well, you know what happens to a reservoir? It goes stagnant. You know what you call a body of water that only takes in and never gives out? The Dead Sea, and nothing lives in it. A river is full of life. And God said, I want to bless you so you can be a blessing. So don't let fear trap you into believing that you're responsible for your own security so that you begin to seek that out. Faith is believing what can't be seen. And you stay at it. He says, I want you to stay at it. Trust me. I know you're afraid, but toss that bread on that water. What happens to bread when it hits the water? It's ruined. He's not saying be wasteful. He's saying be willing to release it and ruin it. And and let me show you what I'm going to do in in result of that. Faith is believing what can't be seen. You have to do it when you don't know the outcome. Look at verse 4. He who watches the wind will not sow, and he who looks at the clouds will not reap. If you're always looking for perfect weather and the exact opportunity, you'll never do it. Verse 5, just as you do not know the path of the wind and how bones are formed in a womb of the pregnant woman, so you do not know the activity of God who makes all things. And you can't let fear stop you. Look at verse 6. Sow your seed in the morning and do not be idle in the evening, for you don't know whether morning or evening sowing will succeed or whether both of them alike are good. He's saying, whatever you do, don't stop. Keep living by faith. I know it's a fearful world. Take it seriously, but don't let the the fear keep you from being what God wants you to be. You say, how do I do that? Where do I find the courage to do that? I need the courage that will drive out my fear. Let me tell you something. Courage does not drive out fear. I, I heard a wise man one time say, courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is moving forward despite the fear. There's only one thing that drives out fear, and that's love. And so you have to dwell in love. Here's the verse. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Courage can't do that. Love does that. You say, well, how does it do that? When you're convinced of of the love of God, love is a liberating thing. When you're convinced that God loves you, and you're convinced that you're his child, And I I told you women this when we met yesterday. Look, you're going to do things that, that the father doesn't approve of. But he never stops loving you. Nothing you ever do will cause him to love you more. The cross settled that. 
And when you place your faith in Christ, you become his child. And when you become his child, while you may at times disappoint him, you will never lose his love. My kids will do things and I'm ready to rip their lips off. You know, it's like, what were you thinking? But at no point do I ever stop loving them. And once you become convinced of that, that not only am I loved, but I'm loved by a father who's all-powerful, you're still going to get skint knees. You're still going to get scraped bellies, you know. It's like when I was teaching the boys to ride their bicycle, I'd run along beside them and hold the bicycle. And you know what they'd say? Don't let go, Dad. Don't let go. Don't let go. And when you kind of feel like they got it, what do you do? You let them go. And they ride for a while until they realize you let go. And then they go and crash. And then they'd go up and go, you lied to me. You lied to me. I didn't lie to you. I never agreed. You said don't let go. I didn't say okay. You can't ride a bike if they don't let go. You can't ride a bike if you don't skin a knee. You got to let go at some point. But letting go doesn't mean I don't love you. In fact, the fact that I'm out here running along beside you proves that I do. Paul said this, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Now listen, he says, just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were consumed as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, and look, this is not hypothetical. He's experienced it. In all these things that we experience, we overwhelmingly conquer How? Why? Look what he says. Through him who what? Loved us. At no point was he ever, did he ever feel like God wasn't loving him. And that's where the power is. That's the confidence. Fear is the eternal demon that whispers its poison into your heart. God doesn't love you. You aren't worthy of his love. He won't care for you. So you have to take care of yourself. and, And you know you're not enough to do that. So you can't do this. That's the poison. Here's the answer. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you know that? I mean, I'm not talking about academically. Do you know that? Do you know what it's like to be so deeply loved that no matter what risk you take, you know the one that loves you will come for you and take care of you? Do you know what that's like? Because that's how God loves you. And when you're in a relationship with him, what's the scripture say? If God be for us, then what can be against us? You don't have to live in fear. It's a dangerous world. It's an uncertain world. It's an insane world. And the bad guys are winning. It's unfair. Success isn't always certain. One bad mistake can ruin a whole life. But Jesus can restore it. And he can fix it. And he will not only accept you, forgive you, but he will adopt you. And when he adopts you, you become a child of God. And when you're a child of God, you'll always be loved. 
Do you know what that feels like? Well, let's pray together. Let's just pray together. Father, in this moment, convince us of your love because we're fearful. This is a scary world. Um, We're fearful for our children. We're fearful for our grandchildren. We're fearful for our economy. We're fearful for our world. And Father, we're fearful for ourselves because we wonder sometimes, are we enough? We wonder sometimes, will you still forgive us? We wonder sometimes if, if we measure up and everything in us wants to find security. But the only security we know is in Jesus. So Father, we want to take this bread that you put in our hands and we want to just toss it into the sea and keep living by faith because we know you love us. Teach us to walk in that love. Father, I pray for those this morning who aren't convinced of the love of Christ because they don't have that relationship. In this moment, they would just do what your word says to believe in their heart, confess with their mouth. And Father, when that happens, the relationship changes forever. So we thank you for that in Jesus' name, amen. Our hope is that this message has encouraged you to seek Christ in your own life and make him known wherever you are. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and share it with a friend. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.